Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We'll turn our study time now over to our brother Gary McBride. <laughs> Billy didn't catch any of that. <laughs> yes. Well, it certainly is good to be back with you and back in person as well. Uh, not only Zooming here, I've Zoomed uh, dozens and dozens of places over the past uh, year, and it's certainly nice to be uh, back with folks again and to a fellowship uh, once again. So it's a real blessing. And we certainly missed uh, coming to Florida, not just for the weather, but for the people that we know here. And uh, the relationships we've built, it's been, uh, it was a tough year uh, to miss. Uh, the irony is that last winter was perhaps one of the mildest winters we've had in northern Ontario in years and years and years. And this winter is one of the worst uh, we've had in years and years and years. So my son-in-law probably won't talk to me after he has to take care of our house and uh, all the snow and all the things that go uh, with it. Uh, so we are doubly blessed, of course, to be here. So we're going to look at uh, some thoughts from 2 Corinthians. Uh, you've got a handout either through email or uh, Lanny uh, graciously printed off some uh, copies. It's not really a, uh, a, you know, a, a detailed outline of the messages. It's just a, an overview of the book and uh, shows where we're going. It gives you a bit of an outline of the book. And so if you want to read ahead and uh, have those thoughts in mind, uh, perhaps you'll get more out of out of this. Now, uh, Paul, uh, of course, had been to Corinth and he had founded the assembly there. He talks about that in First Corinthians chapter three. He laid a foundation there in Corinth, and the assembly uh, started from there. Now, Corinth was a unique city, uh, even in those days. Uh, perhaps a glimpse of Corinth would be if you were to read the first three chapters of the book of Romans. It's thought that Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, from, uh, from Rome, uh, no, sorry, the other way around, wrote to the Romans from Corinth, and so perhaps looking out the window and seeing what was going on, he describes the depravity of man, and so that was all around uh, in Corinth. Uh, to Corinthianize is a verb that just means to act in that type of way, that manner of lifestyle. And so it's a terrible city. And interestingly enough, uh, the, the assembly there struggled. Uh, I'm not sure that many of us would be happy in that type of assembly. Uh, there was the issue of, of pride and the prominence of certain gifts and the fact that some people wanted to, uh, you know, monopolize and, and exercise more than others. And then there was the issue of sin in the assembly that wasn't uh, dealt with. And so it was a difficult, uh, difficult situation. And so uh, Paul, in his first epistle, he uh, hears a report of what's going on in Corinth. In his first uh, six chapters, he writes concerning those issues. And so he's dealing with various issues, the sin and taking one another to court and all this type of thing. And then he answers a number of questions they have. But it would seem that uh, the situation in Corinth still was deteriorating. Uh, he 
likely wrote four letters. We only have two of them. Uh, he wrote a, a letter in between uh, these two, uh, two other letters that we don't have, uh, trying to get their attention. And here in Second Corinthians, it's a very personal letter. It's very different than his other epistles that he had to, to write. He says far more about himself and far more about his love and concern for them and what he wants them uh, to do. And part of that was based on the fact that it was seen that there were people in Corinth saying that uh, doubting Paul's authority and the authenticity of his apostleship. And so he writes with that in, in mind. Also, just the fact that he didn't really know the outcome of his previous letter, uh, the harsh letter that he sent. He didn't really know. Uh, he'd sent Titus to see them. He hadn't heard back initially from Titus. And so he was really wondering and worried about what was going on in that situation. And so we, these folk were on his heart, on his mind. Uh, this letter is perhaps about 10 years, written 10 years before Paul's death. He was beheaded in 66, so this was written maybe in 55 or 56 of that uh, first uh, century. And in a couple of the, the sessions we're going to look at, we're going to look at sort of uh, some themes that he comes back to. Uh, sometimes there'll be a passage, an exposition of a passage, but tonight and uh, next week we'll look at uh, thematically a couple of things that he talks about, but he addresses them through uh, this epistle. And so tonight we want to think of uh, God's purpose in uh, difficult circumstances we may face in life. We had on the board various individuals, uh, many of them believers, going through difficult times. And we know that uh, some of you have been through difficult times in the past uh, year or two. And so why does God allow those things into our, into our life and experience? Why, why not, once we're saved, have just smooth sailing all the way from salvation to, uh, to glory? You know, if you, um, if, I don't know if you ever listened to Joel Olstein. I've tried and it's, I find it very difficult to listen more than half a minute. But uh, according to him, everything in life should be perfect. If you think it, uh, it should happen. Uh, you know, you, you say it and claim it and, and believe it and it's yours. You have all the potential in the world. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, that whole uh, sort of sphere of what we call health and wealth gospel or prosperity gospel, where it's just the thought that uh, if you really have faith and if you really have positive thinking and if you... Just tell God what he should be doing. It'll happen to you and your life will just be, just be perfect. Never a problem in life. But that's not the reality uh, for people. In fact, uh, scripture is clear that uh, as believers, we are going to experience what others experience and even more. John 16.33, the Lord Jesus assures us, in this world you will have trouble. I mean, it's, a, it's a given. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1 says that it's given to us not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. So those things are going to, uh, to happen. We are going to experience difficulty. So we want to read, to start with, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 down to 11, where Paul talks about uh, some of the things he went through and God's purpose in it. So reading from verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us 
in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, or you could insert the word comfort, also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, you also partake of the consolation or of the comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. And so, Paul here talks about some of the things he went through and then God's purpose in it. So we might call this the, uh, maybe the school of hard knocks or the school of suffering, God's purpose. And sometimes God allows things into our life because he wants to do things. Just keep your finger there, but look at Deuteronomy 8 just for an example. Deuteronomy chapter 8. There's a couple of verses that give us, perhaps illustrate God's dealings. Now, This is a unique passage because it's perhaps the only place in Scripture where God explains why he did what he did. Uh, Usually God just does it and uh, the principles are applied, but God here specifically explains. He led the children of Israel. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. And he says in chapter 8, verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his (coughs) commandments, excuse me, his commandments are not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, and so on. So he says, here was the purpose. Now you can imagine. Do you have a mint, please? Water. Oh, okay. I'll pay you. Um, you can imagine a tour company having a cruise in, out of Miami Harbor. Thank you. Um, advertising, if you come on this cruise, uh, you're going to run out of water, you're going to run out of food. But by the way, uh, you'll be humbled by the end of it. Uh, It'll be a great experience, and uh, you'll just be more humble than you've ever been as a result. Uh, And it'll really be a test. Thank you. Very good. Last thing you want is a dry sermon. Well, I can't do everything at once. So you can imagine nobody would sign up for that type of trip. If, if you know, God had said to the Israelites, by the way, you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness, you're, you're going to hunger and thirst, uh, but I've got a purpose for it. And part of that purpose is humility. Another part is uh, to test you, to test your faith, your obedience. Another is to teach you uh, about my ways and my character. Look further down in uh, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy he says in verse 15, or 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you good in the end. Now, if you'd asked them, 
uh, as they're going through it. Isn't this good? Not one of them would have said that. They said, we wish we were back in Egypt. We'd rather be back there. We, we would avoid it. We'll take a different uh, tour company next time. Uh, we don't want this guide anymore. But God purposely led them so he could do something in them. And so back in 2 Corinthians, that's what Paul is saying. God allows things into our life, not to make our life miserable, but that he has a, a goal that's different. He said to the Israelites, to do you good in the end. Now, if we were to take a poll or you were to write out what good is for you, good in your life, we'd all have positive things. Uh, good is, you know, good health, money in the bank, good friends, uh, all sorts of things, uh, time in Florida, uh, all types of things we would list as being good. But God's definition of what good is isn't based just on the circumstance, it's based on our character. And God wants to do a work in us. And so sometimes he allows the circumstances of life to mold us and make us and teach us, and he uses those circumstances for his uh, purpose. And so that's what uh, Paul says in here. So you notice some of the words in chapter 1 from verse t- uh, 3 on, on down. Words like tribulation and, and trouble. Verse 5, he talks about suffering. Verse 6, about being afflicted. Verse 7, uh, partakers of suffering. Verse, verse 8, uh, trouble. Uh, verse 9, the sentence of death. Now, again, that doesn't sound like a, a nice day in the life of a person to go through all those types of, of things. But that's what Paul says he experienced. But then he says, in that, God did something. God gave him comfort in the midst of his situation. And he said that allowed him to experience that comfort so that he could come alongside others that are going through something and in turn give them comfort. Right? He experienced it himself. And out of that experience, he could come alongside. Uh, you know, we were just with, uh, some of you know Jack McLaughlin, the Pels were up there at the, the funeral for, for Jean in Ocala. And if somebody's lost a spouse, they can come alongside and say, I know what you feel. I know what you're going through. We can offer comfort, but not at the same level, not in the same way. We can't say, well, we've been through it, and here's how the Lord ministered to us. Here's what the Lord did for, for me uh, through that situation. Uh, we can point to Scripture, and we can talk about what we know theologically and, and intellectually and by faith, but we can't say, this is what we experienced. I met a fellow in Ontario who runs a counseling service on grief. And they, uh, many years ago, they, they lost a daughter. They were walking as a family, uh, infant in a stroller, and the daughter was walking along the sidewalk, and a car came up over the curb and killed the daughter right in front of them. And so out of that experience, they know what grief is. And so they can really minister to people when somebody comes with, with an issue and uh, can't get over the, the grief and through the mourning process, they can really identify and they can say, here's, here's how the Lord helped us. Here's what the Lord did uh, for us through that situation. And so again, we might not uh, appreciate that God is at work doing something, but he may be equipping us to minister to others in ways that we would not have been equipped before. 
And so, again, would we sign up for that? No. But that's sometimes the school that God puts us through. Now, some of you know the, the name Andrew Murray. He was a South African preacher, and writer. He wrote a number of books on prayer. There was a time in his life when he was laid up uh, with a bad back and uh, had to just isolate and, and stay still in London, in England. And uh, he'd had meetings arranged. He had a, a full schedule, but he couldn't fulfill anything. He couldn't follow through on any of it. And somebody asked him about the situation and, you know, what he thought of it and what, what God was doing. Here was his response. He said, here I am by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training for his time. That's a good response, isn't it? He said, I'm in his hand. He knows what he's, what he's doing. And so Paul says he, he experienced this comfort, this consolation, so he can in turn comfort others. So again, we wouldn't, we wouldn't sign up for it. We wouldn't think, well, why is that necessary? Uh, we can read in Scripture. We can say, well, this is, this is what you should be doing. Uh, this is what should be happening. And sometimes God allows us to go through those things so that we, through experience, we are enabled uh, to, to minister to others in a way that we would not have been equipped to otherwise. And so that's one of the things that God allows uh, into our, our lives at times. And again, it's for his purpose, for our good. And again, defining good in that way wouldn't be on most of our bucket lists. But for God, uh, and for the sake of his people, and for the building up of the church, and for our ministry, God allows uh, those things into our, our life. Another thing that he says, not only does it enable us to, to offer comfort, but as you work down through this passage, it's, it's obvious there's an emphasis on prayer, on faith, on trust in God. And so another thing that this situation did was encouraged prayer. Uh, Paul prayed, but others prayed as well. And we see that exercise in what we did here uh, tonight. We spent time in prayer for the needs of others. And so, uh, again, what Paul went through and what he experienced uh, touched or affected the lives of others. Not only could he minister to them, but they could minister to him in that situation, that circumstance, and it encouraged prayer. And out of that uh, encouragement of prayer, uh, he says, uh, there was uh, thanks may be given at the end of, or in verse, uh, in verse 11, by many persons. And so he says, a result of, of what he went through, it touched uh, many lives, and, and people prayed for those situations. So you've been part of that tonight. Uh, you think of what Bob King has gone through, and uh, who knows what the Lord's doing in his life, but one of the things that's a result of what he's going through is it encourages us to pray for him, to hold him up uh, in prayer. And so God can allow uh, those things for his purpose. Now look at chapter 4. We'll look at three passages tonight. Uh, like I said, some nights we'll just look at a uh, flow of verses and do it more of an exegesis. But here we just want to think of what God may be uh, teaching us. So verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16. 
Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Chapter 5, for this we know of our earthly tent, house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so, again, uh, you think of some of the words that are in here. He talks about perishing. He talks about affliction. He talks about uh, being destroyed, about groaning, about being found uh, naked. Again, he's describing uh, the circumstances of of life. And and, uh, as we age... Of course, some of these things become more and more uh, real uh, to us. You know, 30, 40 years ago, we probably didn't think of a lot of these, uh, these things uh, at, at that stage in life. But then you, uh, you get on to get as old as uh, some of us are, or some of you are. Um, uh, things are you, you view things differently, and you recognize, well, yes, this, this tent is decaying. It's, it's going. And... Uh, you know, God has placed eternity in our hearts. We all recognize that uh, it's pointed on a man wants to die and after that the judgment. We, we know that uh, what's, what's coming. And so Paul talks about that, that fact that, yes, there, there are physical uh, experiences in life, things that weigh on us, uh, things that we go through. But notice in verse 17, he calls it our light affliction. Well, when you're going through it, you may not think of it as light affliction, but in terms of the outcome, he says light affliction as opposed to eternal weight of glory, as opposed to what's, what's coming. But what might God be doing uh, through this? What he's talking about is what's going on on the inside. So yes, the physical may decay. Things may happen on the outside. But he's talking about the transformation on the inside. And so... As much as we all want physical health, uh, we all want to age well and to you know, live well, uh, far more important is what's on the inside. And in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, he says he's changing us from one degree of glory to another. He's working in us to change us. And so God may allow the circumstances of life to get our attention. And we know, of course, that when people go through things, uh, believers go through things, they may become bitter. But God wants us to become better as a result of what we've gone through. To trust in him, to grow in our faith, uh, to have our character become more like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Romans 5, it says, we also glory in tribulation. Well, do we? We glory in tribulation? Why would we? Because he says it produces approved character. God uses those things. The trial of our faith, he talks about, 
as being much more precious than gold. What's happening on the inside is of greater value. So Paul says, yes, this, what we see is, is wasting away, is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. And so I trust that's true. Don mentioned in his prayer, God's mercies are new every morning. I trust that we are being renewed day by day from one degree of glory to another. And so just like the Israelites, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God used those circumstances to look at the inside. Were they humble? Would they obey? Did they really know what God was doing? Uh, were they teachable? And so it could be that God is allowing things into our life for that purpose, to change us, make us more kind, more considerate, more loving, more tender, whatever it might be. The Lord may allow those, those things, but that's part of his purpose, to change us from uh, the inside out. Uh, Job could say in Job 23, verse 10, he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I'll come forth as gold tried in the fire. He said he knows. He knows what he's doing to me, but he has a purpose in view. And so what's happening on the inside is far more important in the big scheme or the large scheme of things than what is on the outside. And then the second thing it, it does is uh, changes our focus. Not only uh, changes us from the inside out, but our focus. And so he talks about the fact that uh, as believers and as we experience some of these trials in life, we recognize that there's something better coming. And we don't just want to go to heaven because we're miserable here. We want to go to heaven because it's far better. You know, it's been said for the, for the unbeliever, this world is good as it ever gets. For the believer, this world is the worst it ever gets because we've got something better coming. We've got heaven to look forward to. Paul could say to die, be with Christ is far better. And so perhaps the Lord uses uh, some of the circumstances of life just to help us to focus, to increase our hope and to change our focus so that we, we think more of, of heaven and what's coming. And we live for heaven instead of living just for here. And so God allows things into our lives for a purpose. And then let's go for our final reading to chapter 12. And here we won't read the first, uh, first six verses, but it's the story of Paul, quite likely after he was uh, stoned uh, in Thessalonica and left for dead. It's thought that then he had this vision where he's caught up into the third heavens and he sees visions of things that were not lawful to, to utter. Now it's interesting just in that thought that you'll notice most often in Scripture when heaven is described, it's described by what is not there things we can understand, the absence of sin, of, of the sea, of different things, as opposed to describing what is there because it's a different realm. We don't have the, we don't have the parameters to, to appreciate what's there. We can more readily appreciate what's not there. But whatever Paul saw, he was not allowed to, to give that. Now, interestingly enough, again, uh, from a theological perspective, you know, that whole health and wealth gospel, uh, you go into some bookstores and you will see people who have been to heaven and back and tell you who they met there and all these things that went on there. Well, Paul was there and he says, no, I wasn't allowed to, 
to tell uh, what I saw there. But instead, in verse 7, this is the outcome. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a list there in, in verse 10. You think of those things that he says that he's quite content that these things are there. In fact, he says, I take pleasure in these things and infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecution, distresses for Christ's sake. Again, that's, that's not a very appealing list for any of us when you think of all that's involved uh, there. And yet God, God allowed this into his life. Now, interestingly enough, it's called a, referred to as a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Uh, Job never knew that Satan was involved in his uh, suffering. Uh, never any explanation to him as to why that was, uh, was happening. In fact, it's interesting that uh, God never explains to Job what was going on. Uh, you realize at the end of the book, God speaks. He asks Job 77 questions, but he never gives him an answer. He never says, here's why, this, here's why you went through this. Here's Satan's role, Satan's part. Uh, the Lord Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. Uh, Paul wanted to return to Thessalonica. He says, Satan hindered us. And so uh, there's some activity uh, beyond our, the scope of our understanding uh, for sure, and so this is a messenger from Satan. So somehow, in whatever happened in the unseen realm, God allowed Satan to afflict uh, Paul. It was part of God's purpose. Uh, similar thing, perhaps, with David. When David numbered Israel, the one passage says God moved him, and the other passage says Satan moved him to number Israel. And so within the plan and purposes and sovereign workings of God, and Satan was allowed to have uh, a part in that. And so he sees this, uh, this thorn in the flesh, and he says it was given to buffet him. Now, that's not a buffet like you go for supper. That, that's something bad where you get beat up, you get buffeted. And so he says, that's what I experienced. Now, you'd think, well, Paul is a vessel set apart for a specific purpose. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. God had specifically chosen him, saved him in a miraculous way. Uh, why would God allow something into his life that's going to diminish or affect his ministry? Why not give him good health so he can keep going? Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is, interestingly enough. Uh, perhaps if we knew uh, and somebody else had that same affliction, it might become a source of pride. Well, uh, yeah, I've got this, but Paul had it as, as well, whatever uh, it might be. But in this situation... Uh, Paul learned, again, uh, some, some wonderful things. He, he learned that God's grace is sufficient. And would he have learned it in the same way experientially without going through what he went through? Uh, he talks about God's grace. Writer of the Hebrews, as again was quoted, uh, we can boldly approach the throne of, of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. 
God's grace is available uh, to us. We, we know that. Uh, Peter and James tells us that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. God's grace is available to us. Romans 5.1 says, uh, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have access into this grace in which we stand. We come into the good of what God, God has. But there is a sense in which Paul, in a very, again, experiential way, felt and knew the grace of God. The grace of God is the undeserved favor, uh, the undeserved goodness of, of God expressed uh, in ways that perhaps we, we can't readily define. But Paul experienced it, the grace that came because he was in this, this situation, because he had this thorn in the flesh, this grace that, that flowed uh, to him. And so uh, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, to experience that grace. Now, you know, it's been said uh, for martyrs, for instance, God doesn't give dying grace until you're dying. He doesn't say, here it is in the bank, you just draw on it when you need it. It's in the situation that you experience his grace. And there's some wonderful stories. Uh, If you want to Google uh, in your spare time this week, Margaret Wilson, I think it was 1685, uh, was martyred uh, in Scotland, refusing to deny her allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, she quoted the 25th Psalm as she was tied to a stake and the tide coming in and drowned her. That's God's grace in a wonderful way. Uh, They gave her all the opportunities in the world to renounce, to be saved, to not die. Uh, But she, by God's grace, uh, stood that test. Uh, Many of you perhaps have been in situations where you've experienced the grace of God. It's a wonderful thing to see the Lord's help in a very real way. When you look back and you recognize, that wasn't me. That was only by God's grace that I came through through that. And so that's a, that's a wonderful uh, thing to, to find out, that his grace indeed is sufficient for us. Whatever our circumstance, you know, we're saved by grace. Uh, Paul told Timothy to uh, be strong in the grace as in the Lord Jesus Christ. First uh, Peter 4.10, we are stewards of that grace. But here we find that his grace is sufficient for us, regardless. Uh, you know, we know, well know the hymn by Annie Johnson Flint. She, of course, was an accomplished piano player, school teacher. She went blind and had to give up her profession. She became arthritic to the point where she was bedridden, became incontinent, and yet... She could write, he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. Well, how can you do that? Only if you've been in that situation. She experienced it. And so she could rely on him and on his grace. But the second thing that it seems to me that comes out of this is not only that, that Paul experiences the grace of, of God, but his life uh, expresses or his experience expresses glory to God. And so he recognizes that as he is weak, as he's going through all these things, when he's weak, I'm strong. But he recognizes this is the work of God, the hand of God, and he's, he's giving the glory to God through this situation. He could have grumbled and complained, why me? Uh, why am I going through this? But he gave instead the glory uh, to God out of this this experience. You know, there's a 
Westminster Shorter Catechism as like a doctrinal statement. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our chief aim, really, to glorify God. If any man boast, let him boast in the Lord. Give glory to God. That's what the church is all about. Ephesians chapter 3, to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's experience brought glory to God. Now, if he'd grumbled and complained, it would not have. But as he experienced God's grace and recognized God's, God's goodness in all of this, it certainly brought glory uh, to God. When I'm weak, it's his strength. It's only through him. So when we think of, of this, of these aspects of suffering, uh, perhaps things that we don't normally think about. Perhaps God has allowed me to go through something so I can help somebody else going through similar thing. Perhaps what's happening to me is to be an encouragement to the church, to other believers to, uh, to pray. Uh, perhaps what I'm going through is, is a matter of changing me from the inside out, doing something in me, changing me from one degree of glory to another. Uh, perhaps it's about my focus to, to have my hope uh, strengthened, the, the thought of, of heaven. Perhaps it's to experience his grace in a way that I've never experienced it uh, before. Uh, perhaps it's just for his glory. Remember in John, is it John 9, where the disciples asked, why, is, why was this man blind? Did he sin, his parents sin? No, so that the glory of God might be seen. And so it could be that God allows those things into our life for a purpose. Um, so when you think of so many people that have ministered in a wonderful way to the Christian church over the years, many of them have gone through suffering. We were just thinking today, Gloria and I, she read something about Spafford, Horatio Spafford, and what he went through. And yet he could say it as well with my soul. Would he have written that if he hadn't lost a son and three daughters and his holdings in Chicago and his law office, if everything hadn't burned down? Would he have penned those words? When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It was out of that experience. It's been said, you know, that David's psalms had ne'er been sung had David's heart ne'er been wrung, right, out of those experiences. Uh, Carolina Sandelberg, her father drowned in front of her in a rowboat, fell out of the rowboat and drowned, and out of that she could write day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my father's wise bestowment. Could she have written that or would she have written it without that experience? And so none of us would wish for those things. But out of those things, God can do great things. You know, when uh, several notable people uh, died young, William Borden died in Cairo in Egypt, and uh, perhaps in, uh, must have been about 1920, perhaps, 25 years old, died of meningitis. Uh, tremendous testimony for the Lord. His, his tombstone, you could Google it and look at it. The bottom, it says, only faith in Christ can explain a life like this. And you think, well, 25 years old, he suffered and died. What could come from that? But more missionaries went out in the next 10 years than had ever gone out before. Similar thing happened when Jim Elliott and those other four died in January 1956. Many went out on the mission field as a result. We don't know what God is doing, but we can have confidence that God is in control. The Israelites had no clue that humility was 
was so important that God allowed them to experience that for 40 years because he wanted to humble them. They would rather have the cruise ship. God says, no, here it is. But the ultimate result is to do you good in the end. And it's good if you're humble. And so, uh, in the school of suffering, God sometimes uses things to do things that we have no idea about. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that our times are in your hands. Uh, We do thank you that you do work everything to good, for good, to those that love the Lord, to those that are called according to your purpose. And we just uh, recognize that we don't always know what that good is. We don't always recognize in advance or even through the circumstance what your purpose might be. But certainly, uh, you are the God of all comfort and you're God of all grace and you administer to us in those circumstances and you equip us to minister then to others. And you use circumstances to change us from one degree of glory to another. So, Father, we just pray that as we think of these things and as we go through the various experiences of life, that these thoughts, these verses, uh, what Paul went through would encourage us as uh, we see your hand at work in our lives and in our experience. We just now commit ourselves to you, guide and direct, and safety as we travel home. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.